The French Revolution by Thomas Carlyle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mark Thornton, Miranda, New Zealand. The French Revolution, Chapter One Point Four Four, The Procession, Part Two. Towards such work, in such manner, marches he, this singular Riquetti Mirabeau, in fiery rough figure with black Samson locks under the slouch hat, he steps along there, a fiery, fuliginous mass, which could not be choked and smothered, but would fill all France with smoke. And now it has got air, it will burn its whole substance, its whole smoke atmosphere too, and fill all France with flame. Strange lot! Forty years of that smouldering, with foul fire-damp and vapour enough, then victory over that and like a burning mountain he blazes heaven-high, and, for twenty-three resplendent months, pours out, in flame and molten fire-torrents, all that is in him, the pharos and wonder-sign of an amazed Europe, and then lies hollow, cold forever. Pass on, thou questionable Gabriel Anare, the greatest of them all, in the whole national deputies, in the whole nation, there is none like and none second to thee. But now, if Mirabeau is the greatest, who of these six hundred may be the meanest? Shall we say that anxious, slight, ineffectual-looking man under thirty in spectacles there? His eyes, with the glasses off, troubled, careful, with upturned face, snuffling dimly the uncertain future time. Complexion of a multiplex atrabilier colour, the final shade of which may be the pale sea-green. That greenish-coloured individual is an advocate of Arras. His name is Maximilien Robespierre, the son of an advocate. His father founded mason lodges under Charles Edward, the English prince or pretender. Maximilien, the first-born, was thriftily educated. He had brisk Camille Desmoulins for schoolmate in the college of Louis le Grand at Paris, but he begged our famed necklace cardinal, Rohan, the patron, to let him depart thence and resign in favour of a younger brother. The strict-minded Max departed home to paternal Arras, and even had a law-case there, and pleaded not unsuccessfully in favour of the first Franklin thunder-rod. With a strict painful mind, and understanding small but clear and ready, he grew in favour with official persons, who could foresee in him an excellent man of business, happily quite free from genius. The bishop, therefore, taking counsel, appoints him judge of his diocese, and he faithfully does justice to the people till behold one day a culprit comes whose crime merits hanging and the strict-minded max must abdicate for his conscience will not permit the dooming of any son of adam to die a strict-minded straight-laced man a man unfit for revolutions whose small soul transparent wholesome-looking as the small ale could by no chance ferment into virulent alligar the mother of ever new alligar till all france had grown acetus virulent we shall see between which two extremes of grandest and meanest so many grand and mean roll on towards their several destinies in that procession there is casal the learned young soldier who shall become the eloquent orator of royalism and earn the shadow of a name experienced molnier experienced malloway whose presidential parliamentary experience the stream of things shall soon leave stranded a petition has left his gown and briefs at chartres for a stormier sort of pleading has not forgotten his violin, being fond of music. His hair is grizzled, though he is still young. Convictions, beliefs, placid, unalterable are in that man. 
not hindmost of them, belief in himself. A Protestant clerical, Rabot Saint-Étienne, a slender young, eloquent and vehement Barnave, will help to regenerate France. There are so many of them young. Till thirty the Spartans did not suffer a man to marry, but how many men here under thirty, coming to produce not one sufficient citizen, but a nation and a world of such? the old to heal up rents, the young to remove rubbish, which latter is it not, indeed, the task here? Dim formless from this distance, yet authentically there, thou noticed the deputies from Nantes, to us mere clothes-screens, with slouch-hat and cloak, but bearing in their pocket a cahier of dolences with this singular clause, and much such in it, that the master wigmaters of Nantes be not troubled with new guild brethren, the actually existing number of ninety-two being more than sufficient. The round people have elected Farmer Gerard, a man of natural sense and rectitude, without any learning. He walks there, with solid step, unique, in his rustic farmer clothes, which he will wear always, careless of short cloaks and costumes. The name Gerard, or Père Gerard, Father Gerard, as they please to call him, will fly far, borne about in endless banter, in royalist satires, in republican didactic almanacs. As for the man Gerard, being asked once what he did, after trial of it, candidly think of this parliamentary work, I think, answered he, that there are a good many scoundrels among us. So walks Father Gerard, solid in his thick shoes, whithersoever bound. And worthy Dr. Guillotin, who we hope to behold one other time, if not here, the doctor should be here, and we see him with the eye of prophecy, for indeed the Parisian deputies are all a little late singular guillotin respectable practitioner doomed by a satiric destiny to the strangest immortal glory that ever kept obscure mortal from his resting-place the bosom of oblivion guillotin can improve the ventilation of the hall in all cases of medical police and hygiene be a present aid but greater far he can reproduce his report on the penal code and reveal therein a cunningly devised beheading-machine which shall become famous and world-famous this is the product of Guillotin's endeavours, gained not without meditation and reading, which product popular gratitude or levity Christians by a feminine derivative name, as if it were his daughter, La Guillotine. With my machine, messieurs, I whisk off your head, in a twinkling, and you have no pain, whereat they all laugh. Unfortunate doctor! For two and twenty years he, unguillotined, shall near nothing but guillotine, see nothing but guillotine, then dying, shall through long centuries wander, as it were, a disconsolate ghost, on the wrong side of Styx and Lethe, his name likely to outlive Caesar's. C. Bailey, like Coyens of Paris, time-honoured historian of astronomy, ancient and modern. Poor Bailey, how thy serenely beautiful philosophing, with its soft moonshiny clearances and thinness, ends in foul-thick confusion, of presidency, mayorship, diplomatic officiality, rabid triviality, and the throat of everlasting darkness. Far was it to descend from the heavenly galaxy to the drapeau rouge, beside that fatal dung-heap, on that last hell-day, thou must tremble, though only with cold, de froid. Speculation is not practised, to be weak is not so miserable, but to be weaker than our task. Woe the day when they mounted thee, a peaceable pedestrian, on that wild hippogriff of a democracy, which, spurning the firm earth, nay, lashing at the very stars, no yet known Astolfo could have written. 
In the Commons deputies there are merchants, artists, men of letters, 374 lawyers, and at least one clergyman, the Abbe Sier. Him also Paris sends, among its twenty, behold him, the light thin man, cold but elastic, wiry, instinct with the pride of logic, passionless, or with but one passion, that of self-conceit, if indeed that can be called a passion, which, in its independent concentrated greatness, seems to have soared into transcendentalism, and to sit there with a kind of godlike indifference, and look down on passion. He is the man, and wisdom shall die with him. This is the C.A., who shall be system-builder, constitution-builder-general, and build constitutions, as many as wanted, sky-high, which shall all unfortunately fall before he get the scaffolding away. La politique, said he to Dumont, polity is a science, I think I have completed. What things, O C.A., with thy clear assiduous eyes, art thou to see? But were it not curious to know how C.A., now in these days, for he is said to be still alive, looks out on all that constitution masonry through the roomy soberness of extreme age? Might we hope, still with the irrefragable transcendentalism, the victorious cause pleased the gods, the vanquished one pleased T.A. Thus, however, amid sky-rending vivats and blessings from every heart, has the procession of the commons deputies rolled by. Next follow the noblesse, and next the clergy, concerning both of whom it might be asked what they specially have come for. Specially, little as they dream of it, to answer this question, put in a voice of thunder, what are you doing in God's fair earth and task-garden, where whatsoever is not working is begging or stealing? Woe, woe to themselves and to all, if they can only answer, collecting tithes, preserving game. Remark, meanwhile, how Dolian affects to stop before his own order and mingle with the commons. For him are vivats, few for the rest, though all waving plumed hats of a feudal cut, have sword on thigh though among them is Dantregru, the young Languedocian gentleman. Indeed, many appear more or less noteworthy. There are Liancourt and La Rochefoucauld, the liberal Anglomaniac dukes. There is a filially pious Lally, a couple of liberal Lameths. Above all, there is a Lafayette, whose name shall be Cromwell Grandisson, and fill the world Many a formula has this Lafayette too made away with, yet not all formulas. He sticks by the Washington formula, and by that he will stick, and hang by it, as by sure bower anchor hangs, and swings the tight warship, which, after all changes of wildest weather and water, is still found hanging. Happy for him, be it glorious or not. Alone of all Frenchmen he has a theory of the world, and right mind to conform thereto. He can become a hero and perfect character, were it but the hero of one idea. Note further our old parliamentary friend, Crispin Catalan d'Espremenil. He has returned from the Mediterranean islands, a red-hot royalist, repentant to the finger-ends, unsettled-looking, whose light, dusky glowing at best, now flickers foul in the socket, whom the National Assembly will by and by, to save time, regard as in a state of distraction. Note lastly that the globular younger Mirabeau, indignant that his elder brother is among the commons, it is Viscomte Mirabeau, named Ofna Mirabeau Tonneau, on account of his rotundity, 
and the quantities of strong liquor he contains. There then walks our French noblesse, all in the old pomp of chivalry, and yet, alas, how changed from the old position, drifted far down from their native latitude, like arctic icebergs, got into the equatorial sea, and fast thawing there. Once these chivalry deuces did actually lead the world, were it only towards battle-spoil, where lay the world's best wages then. Moreover, being the ablest leaders going, they had their lion's shares, those juices, which none could grudge them. But now, when so many looms, improved ploughshares, steam-engines, and bills of exchange have been invented, and for battle-ruling itself, men hire drill-sergeants at eighteen pence a day. What mean these gold-mantled chivalry figures, walking there in black velvet cloaks, in high-plumed hats of a feudal cut, reeds shaken in the wind the clergy have got up with cahier for abolishing pluralities enforcing residence of bishops better payment of tithes the dignitaries we can observe walk stately apart from the numerous undignified who indeed are properly little other than commons disguised in curate frocks here however though by strange ways shall the precept be fulfilled and they are greatest much to their astonishment become least for one example, out of many, mark the plausible Gregoire. One day, Curé Gregoire shall be a bishop, when the now stately are wandering, distracted, as bishops in partibus. With other thought, mark also the Ab Maori, his broad, bold face, mouth accurately primmed, full eyes that ray out intelligence, falsehood, the sort of sophistry which is astonished you should find it sophistical skilfulest vamper up of old rotten leather to make it look like new always a rising man he used to tell mercier you will see i shall be in the academy before you likely indeed thou skilfulest maori nay thou shalt have a cardinal's hat and plush and glory but alas also in the long run mere oblivion like the rest of us and six feet of earth what boots it vamping rotten leather on these terms Glorious in comparison is the livelihood thy good old father earns by making shoes, one may hope in a sufficient manner. Maori does not want for audacity. He shall wear pistols by and by, and at death cries of the lamp-iron answer coolly, Friends, you will see better there. But yonder, halting lamely along, thou notice next Bishop Talleyrand Perigore, his reverence of Alton. A sardonic grimness lies in that irreverent reverence of Altun. He will do and suffer strange things, and will become surely one of the strangest things ever seen, or like to be seen, a man living in falsehood and on falsehood, yet not what you can call a false man. There is the speciality. It will be an enigma for future ages, one may hope. Hitherto such a product of nature and art was possible only for this age of ours. Age of paper and of the burning of paper. Consider Bishop Talleyrand and Marquis Lafayette as the topmost of their two kinds, and say once more, looking at what they did, and what they were, O Tempus Ferax Rerum. On the whole, however, has not this unfortunate clergy also drifted in the time-stream, far from its native latitude? An anomalous mass of men, of whom the whole world has already a dim understanding that it can understand nothing, they were once a priesthood, interpreters of wisdom, revealers of the holy that is in man, a true clerus, or inheritance of God on earth, 
But now? They pass silently, with such cahier as they have been able to redact, and none cries, God bless them. King Louis, with his court, brings up the rear. He, cheerful, in this day of hope, is saluted with plaudits. Still more Necker his minister. Nor so the queen, on whom hope shines not steadily any more. Ill-fated queen! Her hair is already grey with many cares and crosses. Her first-born son is dying in these weeks. Black falsehood has ineffectably soiled her name. Ineffectably, while this generation lasts. Instead of vive Lorraine, voices insult her with vive d'Orléans. Of her queenly beauty little remains except its stateliness. Not now gracious, but haughty, rigid, silently enduring. With a most mixed feeling, wherein joy has no part, she resigns herself to a day she hoped never to have seen. Poor Marie Antoinette! With thy quick, noble instincts, vehement glancings, vision all too fitful, narrow for the work thou hast to do, oh, there are tears in store for thee, bitterest wailings, soft womanly meltings, though thou hast the heart of an imperial Theresa's daughter, thou doomed one, shut thy eyes on the future. And so in stately procession have passed the elected of France, some towards honour and quick fire consummation, most towards dishonour, not a few towards massacre, confusion, emigration, desperation, all towards eternity. So many heterogeneities cast together into the fermenting vat, there with incalculable action, counteraction, elective affinities, explosive developments, to work out healing for a sick, moribund system of society. Probably the strangest body of men, if we consider well, that ever met together on our planet on such an errand. So thousandfold complex a society, ready to burst from its infinite depths, and these men, its rulers and healers, without life-rule for themselves, other life-rule than a gospel according to Jean-Jacques. To the wisest of them, what we must call the wisest, man is properly an accident under the sky. Man is without duty round him, except it be to make the constitution. He is without heaven above him, or hell beneath him. He has no god in the world." What further or better belief can be said to exist in these twelve hundred? Belief in high-plumed hats of a feudal cut, in heraldic scutcheons, and the divine right of kings, in the divine right of game-destroyers? Belief, or what is still worse, canting half-belief, or worst of all, mere Machiavellic pretense of belief, in consecrated dough-wafers, and the godhood of a poor old Italian man. Nevertheless, in that immeasurable confusion and corruption, which struggles there so blindly to become less confused and corrupt, there is, as we said, this one salient point of a new life discernible, the deep, fixed determination to have done with shams, a determination which, consciously or unconsciously, is fixed, which waxes ever more fixed, into very madness and fixed idea which in such embodiment as lies provided there shall now unfold itself rapidly, monstrous, stupendous, unspeakable, new for long thousands of years. How has the heaven's light, oft-times in this earth, to clothe itself in thunder and electric murkiness, and descend as molten lightning, blasting, if purifying? 
Nay, is it not rather the very murkiness and atmospheric suffocation that brings the lighting and the light? The new evangel, as the old had been, was it to be born in the destruction of a world? But how the deputies assisted at high mass, and heard sermon, and applauded the preacher, church as it was, when he preached politics, how next day with sustained pomp they are for the first time installed in their salle de menus, hall no longer of amusements, and becomes a states-general, readers can fancy for themselves. The king from his estrade, gorgeous as Solomon in all his glory, runs his eye over that majestic hall. Many plumed, many glancing, bright tinted as a rainbow, in the galleries and near side spaces where beauty sits reigning bright influence, satisfaction, as of one that after long voyaging had got to port, plays over his broad simple face. The innocent king! He rises and speaks with sonorous tone, a conceivable speech, with which, still more with the succeeding one-hour and two-hour speeches of Garde de Scot and Monsieur Necker, full of nothing but patriotism, hope, faith, and deficiency of the revenue, no reader of these pages shall be tried. We remark only that, as His Majesty, on finishing the speech, put on his plumed hat, and the noblesse, according to a custom, imitated him, our tiers attack deputies did mostly, not without a shade of fierceness, in like manner clap on, and even crush on their slouched hats, and stand there awaiting the issue. Thick buzz among them, between the majority and minority of Corez-vous, décorez-vous, hats off, hats on, to which His Majesty puts end by taking off his own royal hat again. The session terminates without further accident or omen than this, with which, significantly enough, France has opened her States-General. Here ends the chapter.